Hello and welcome to If I Were Minister for Education from On Shop at Net, a weekly podcast that discusses the Irish primary education system. Everyone looks forward to Fridays. That is everyone except for pupils who struggle with their spellings and tables and that dreaded Friday test. This week I'll be arguing that we should ban the Friday test, but before all that, here is this week's news. This week uh, the newspapers moved on from Malahide and divested to discussing some related news uh, to the madness of the week before. Uh, for example, uh, Ireland AM uh, on TV3 had a discussion about an alternative to communions called My Little Big Day, which is a non-religious ceremony for children who do not make a communion. It's the kind of thing that could really only happen in Ireland. Uh, it's described as a, it basically My Little Big Day. is a, It's a not-for-profit organisation based in County Kildare. Uh, they've started offering alternative options to the traditional communion ceremony where like-minded families gather for a day of non-religious celebrations. Uh, they sing, they read poetry and they take part in colourful rituals including a wish tree and this is followed by a meal, a DJ and entertainment for the children. Uh, the group's founder, Tony O'Donoghue, says that it's important that children in second class don't miss out on a special day even if they're not making their communion. Look, personally, I mean, this sort of thing isn't for me. Um, I mean, I get it. I get it kind of you know my, myself you know my wife aren't raising our own child without uh, with a religion um and like we didn't do a naming ceremony because it kind of felt like we were replacing a religious thing just with a non-religious thing just for the sake of it and um, we were we were just uh, you know so happy to have a lovely healthy baby boy in our lives i, I suppose we didn't um feel the need um to go through a ceremony and for uh for it um However, I mean, I suppose each their own and um, if people want to do this kind of thing, um, it doesn't really affect me um, and it's not being done during school time. So, you know, good for them. Um, ironically, if religion was taken out of schools, though, I'd say this guy, um, Tony O'Donoghue, might find his business all shut down very quickly. Uh, it's interesting to have a kind of a, a I know I know it's a not for profit thing, but uh, it's, it's funny to see, um, you know, that these sort of opportunities arise because of religion in schools. Um, anyway, on a similar theme, um, Education Equality, um, a, a lobby group, uh, released uh, data to show that the majority of Irish weddings are actually going to be non-religious by next year. That's in 2020. Um, this is going to have an interesting impact on school choices in the coming years, possibly. I mean, I, I guess still these days, uh, most m- most people who get married then have children. And, and obviously not in all cases. Uh, but like, I wonder, how is it the couple's you know, it seems like they don't want religious weddings, even now. I mean, it's around 50%, just under 50% right now. But they seem totally fine with religious schools. I, I don't know. Um, anyway, I'm not going to get into this uh, for two weeks in a row. So uh, about religion in schools, I, I know it's a, a topic that's going to come up a lot. So I will move on to something completely different. Uh, the autism charity As I Am um, has revealed that a large percentage of pupils are excluded from school due to their disability. And there's lots and lots of finger pointing in the in the various articles in the papers at schools uh, and at the government. But the one agency that was missing from the criticism was the very one that's caused most of the problems, which is the NCSE. Now, the NCSE has slowly but surely made it more and more difficult for children with autism to access the supports they so desperately need. Now, I've discussed this in detail in episode five, so you can tune in to hear a lot more detail as to why, if we're going to point any fingers, it needs to be at the NCSE, not at schools. 
A mother in Dublin was jailed uh, this week uh, for three weeks uh, for not sending her eight-year-old child to school. Uh, The child missed uh, over 200 days in two years. There's 183 uh, days in an entire school year and he missed um, 79% of his school days over two years. Um, This is obviously one of the more extreme cases. However, really, how? It should not have gone this far before this action happened. Um, And I'm sure a lot of supports were put in for the family. But um, 200 days, uh, over 200 days over two years is a lot. Now, generally, the mother isn't actually going to do much good. But there must be some other way to sort this out. I, I'm really not in favour of punitive measures. But when everything else fails, like, what does one do? I, I don't really have the answer to that question. I, 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 I mean, people have suggested fining uh, families. But, you know, in general, uh, a lot of, uh, many of the families that don't send their children to school have uh, have backgrounds where, this this may be something a cycle that continues and and punishing families in these situations may not be the best thing how do we break that cycle i suppose is the question i'm asking i i i don't really have the answer Anyway, it's another week and another questionnaire, and this time from the Department of Education regarding crisis student behaviours in schools. Um, That's uh, students who, um, when I I say crisis student behaviours, I mean violence. Um, It's about time that this is tackled, um, but the questionnaire doesn't really do anything to help, in my opinion. It basically seems to be asking us whether teachers should start restraining children presenting with these crisis behaviours. Now, as much as I feel very sorry for children in crisis situations, we're really crossing a line here when it comes to it becomes acceptable for children to be violent before a bit towards their teachers and SNAs and staff. Um, I mean, it, it, it seems to be a growing um, thing that it's that, that it just seems to be happening. Now, it's not long ago, um, in fact, uh, I'll be discussing this a little later, it's not that long ago that we banished the actual opposite problem, which is teachers uh, being violent towards children. We need to nip this in the bud uh, pretty quickly before it becomes kind of normalised for um, school children to be violent towards the adults around them. Um, the Minister for Education and Skills, uh, Joe McHugh, uh, today announced the appointment of a new National Council for Curriculum and Assessment, the NCCA, uh, for another three years. Um, just for background, the NCCA advises the Minister for Education and Skills on curriculum and assessment from early childhood to the end of second level. Um, in the, in the um, press release, it says it engages with learners, teachers, practitioners, parents and others to support innovation in schools and other educational settings. It undertakes, uses and shares research as a basis for advice and debate on education. Weirdly enough, it also contains um, three members of the INTO um, and I assume more members uh, of other unions. I, I have no idea why we need union members on the NCCA, but um, there we are. We've three for primary level. We'll move next uh, abroad uh, to a story from America, which uh, I came across on social media. Uh, the headline was a fear of risk taking has destroyed kids love of learning uh, from a uh, um, an, an, an e-zine called Atlanta, The Atlantic. Um, it's a really nicely written article. Um, I have it on, on Shaw.net's Facebook page with a very, very strong message. Uh, and we can see um, how certain education systems, particularly the UK, have collapsed in the last 20 years because of, a, because of a growing lack of trust in teachers where everything now has to be assessed and measured and everything needs to have some sort of paper trail right from the very off to show how has a child progressed from this point to this point to this point and why and where did it go wrong when it did and who's to blame we need to remember that we need to trust our teachers to try and find different things and accept that sometimes these risks don't work completely but even then these are great learning opportunities for example i mean a teacher might think do you know what it might be a good idea we could try and you know use a green screen technology to maybe incorporate this uh, learning outcome um rather than you know 
going back to the boring books or whatever. I'm, I'm, I'm calling them boring. Um, it's uh, the te- textbooks. But I mean, the risk of that is it might not work. But what other learning experience may may happen as a result of that? And is it not great to take these risks, trying something a little bit different and seeing what happens? It's a, it's, I, I find that a wonderful thing. But by eliminating risk taking, we actually risk ending that sort of thinking, creative thinking, problem solving, and all the other skills that we're actually trying to get children to learn in the 21st century. So by some weird thing, we're actually um, eradicating the very skills we actually need for success in 21st century. We need to be really, really careful that we don't fall into this trap. Um, but as you know, we, we, we tend to follow the UK for some reason in terms of education and policy. And we're usually about 15 to 20 years behind what they do. So it's probable that in about 10 years time, you're, you're gonna find yourselves drowning in paperwork and sats. Um, hopefully, hopefully not. Um, some of you from the soundings generation, I don't know if, uh, if any of you would uh, would understand that, but uh, those of you who were in secondary school and had uh, the English literary book called Soundings, it was re-released uh, a few years ago, uh, might remember Thomas Kinsella. He was one of the poets on the syllabus. Well, he's still knocking about, even when we were when I was in school, he was an old man, but he's uh, age 90 and he gave his last public appearance. Uh, and where did he do it? Only at his old primary school in Inchicore. I mean, I think that's lovely. What a, what a lovely way to end your career back in the place your education started and finally i'm just giving a shout out um I, i'm pretty sure saying shout out makes me sound very uncool but um a shout out nonetheless to the original education podcast inside education from sean delaney if you're looking to hear interviews with the glitterati of the education world uh, you need to tune in every week and um, his podcast is hosted on podbean and um, to hear sean interview everyone from your everyday practitioners to global superstars of the education world um, I uh, have been on um, the, on his show a, a couple of times and um, he is a fantastic interviewer, uh, very much of the, the Michael Parkinson uh, way of doing things, letting the other person talk um, and him just uh, uh, throwing in a little question every now and again. Um, you can be sure if you um, search for someone that you know in the education world, Sean has interviewed them at some point over the last decade or so. Thanks as always for the many comments, shares and likes from last week's podcast about patronage and pluralism. Uh, This podcast can be found on iTunes, Spotify and any other podcasting app by searching for either onshaw.net or if I were the Minister for Education. I'd really appreciate uh, you subscribing to the podcast for each new episode uh, because it will be available to you immediately after its release. Jesus, uh, an apt word. Last week was nuts with all the comments and feedback from the Patronage podcast. It was very heartening to see the amount of teachers that agreed with my argument and were highly critical of the schools in Malahide for the information they spread to parents. I had expressed that I wasn't sure if, one, the schools were so ignorant that they believe the absolute nonsense that goes around about equality-based education models, or two, the schools are actually lying in order to create fear and protect themselves. One of the commenters on uh, on Facebook said initially he suspected number one as this is the feeling everywhere right up to the very top of the education sector and the level of ignorance is truly mind-blowing however upon considerable reflection and a few conversations with people in the North Dublin area it's very very much number two but who's going to stop or challenge them was his question overall there were eye rolls galore and it could be summed up by one comment really I suppose who said he could have been fooled into thinking the headlines he saw were from Waterford Whispers and not the national newspapers. 
I have very few memories of uh, junior infants, but a few do come to mind. Uh, the first one was on the first day uh, of uh, school, um, where I was chased around the classroom by uh, a boy in my class. Um, and when he caught me very quickly, he gave me a great big scratch down my cheek. Uh, and um, I remember um, going home, telling my mum, and um, I remember her telling me, you know, Simon, you've, you've, you just have to be nice to that boy. Um, and uh, I, I, I said, it's, 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 it was an interesting um, thing you might think in this day and age. Um, and uh, it was good advice. Uh, that poor uh, uh, boy um, had, uh, had, his, had additional needs. And I suppose over time, I suppose I, I kept to that. And, and I'd like to think I was nice uh, to that boy. And um, um, but uh, there we are. Um, I guess my other memories, um, which are more related to this podcast, um, I mean, I guess I'm lucky um, because before I started school, I, I could read. Um, and that's the, I know that's that's probably not rare for my generation. Um, and I also love numbers. Um, I love them a lot. I mean, I, I, I was obsessed by them. Um, and during an art class in junior infants, uh, in the early day, in one of the earliest, I remember one thing, um, one art class where I was given, you know, black sugar paper and chalk. And I decided I'd write down a list of all the sums I knew. Um, and uh, there were loads of, you know, addition, subtraction, multiplication, even division sums. Um, ones I, you know, I just wrote them all, wrote, wrote what if, you know, I was five, you know, I just wrote them randomly. Um, and the reason I remember it really isn't because, you know, it was um, because I, I, you know, I, I'm being cocky or anything like that. Um, it was, I was brought into every, the teacher, you know, saw it and went, oh my gosh, and took me and brought me into every classroom. Uh, so I just remember being really scared. Um, and that's, that's why I remember. And I just remember going to each classroom and the teacher just asking me lists of tables and I remember just kind of answering them but being really scared the whole time um, and I'm really I mean I, the thing was I was petrified and that's why I probably remember it more than anything else um, but I want to uh, my third memory I suppose really I suppose is relevant to this particular episode of the podcast it was an assembly, and I think it was in junior infants. I it may not have been, um, I'm, I'm, but I'm pretty sure it was. Um, I remember it being. We didn't have assemblies in our school very often. Um, this is well over thirty odd years ago. Um, so things were very different then. It was just very soon after. Um, corporal punishment was 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 no longer allowed to be used. Um, so teachers are finding their way of, I suppose, disciplining kids. Um, but I remember there were, when I got in and being obsessed with numbers, there were a lot of numbers on the wall all around, uh, starting uh, from um, a two-digit number. I remember it being a two-digit number because all the rest of the numbers all around the room were three-digit numbers. And I remember I looked for a pattern, of course. Uh, but uh, we were all sat down and, and one by one, um, the teacher of uh, the fifth and sixth class uh, called children and to stand underneath a number um now i remember two of those numbers the, the, the one there was one obviously that was under 100 and uh, the highest number i don't remember what number it was it was several hundred more um and it, it corresponded to the number of spellings each child had got right um and i remember uh two of those children um very very clearly um the first was the kid under the lowest number I remember his head was dipped 
And I remember he looked really sad. Um, and I even remember his full name. I obviously I won't say it in this in this podcast. Um, and I remember how he was kind of berated. And I remember how we weren't really discouraged from laughing at, at that fact that he got such a low score. How how little table or how many little spellings he'd gotten right out of the six or seven hundred more or whatever they were. It was a Fallon spelling book, so I presume there was you know thirty odd weeks, thirty weeks of twenty spellings of so 600 and something whatever it might have been and I just remember feeling sorry for him um however I also remember the kid that was under the highest number and I, I actually I also remember his name and I also remember the jumper he was wearing for some reason too I mean that's weird but uh, you know I do is a gray jumper with like colored stripes um and I also remember thinking one day I was going to be under his number and, and thankfully I suppose by the time I got to fifth and sixth, that, that this awful ritual had ceased. I mean, so it never actually happened. But it's strange. It's really strange. I can't actually name a single other child in, uh, or even think of any other child in, in, that, in, those, in that particular class in between the first and the last pupil. And I imagine, while I was completely fixated on the kid that got 100% of his spellings right, um, there were some pupils in my class who probably looked at the other guy and knew they had a very, very high chance of being under his number one day. I've been completely helpless to do anything about it. And this is really where this week's episode begins. There's lots of things in education that seem to persist despite limited evidence that they have any use. For example, the morning news on the blackboard or whiteboard or interactive whiteboard or whatever type of board it might be. Homework, religion, Friday tests. Yes, for, for some peculiar reason, despite all the evidence that the Friday tests and spellings and tables are at best completely meaningless, um, they can also be harmful for lots and lots of types of learners. And one of the accepted truths out there is there's no other way to learn tables and possibly spellings except to simply learn them off by heart. You'll even see these experts on TV shows spouting this out. And, and they're really not the only ones. And in a later episode, I'll actually go through why I believe this is complete nonsense. Um, but because there is a better way. Uh, and like anything in education, we have to give strategies to pupils to help them learn their tables and their spellings if we have any chance of the children learning them. You can't just rely on teaching people like me who were lucky to have got it before I needed to be taught it. Um, most people aren't like that. Um, I, I was lucky I never struggled with tables I knew them from the age of five so effectively weekly tables tests for me were they're absolutely no use to me they're simply an, an exercise in boosting my ego and making me feel good about myself and I was, I was always I was always going to get 10 out of 10 and that's, and that's not me being cocky I mean I promise you that I'm just making the point that the test didn't actually do me any good and, and my worst problem actually was the anxiety that I might slip up because I knew I could get 10 out of 10 every week I mean I knew the answers but the, it was actually the, the anxiety and the stress around maybe not getting one right or slipping up. And I had no strategy except for a good memory and the fact that numbers just clicked uh, for me for whatever reason. I have no idea where that might be. Um, and it was similar with spellings. I saw patterns in words naturally and I was able to break them down. But this is probably because I was lucky, again, to have this good memory. And the Fallon spelling book for me was never much of a chore. And again, that's not me being cocky. It just... It's the way I was built, I guess. And uh, But this isn't about me, of course. Um, but I mean, at the same time, most teachers are probably a bit like me. They probably don't see any harm in them. 
in, in, in a lot of teachers probably don't see the harm in spelling tests and table tests because the likelihood is they also did well on them, which is probably why they did well on the leaving cert because the leaving cert in effect is a memory test. You know, if we, I know a lot of people deny it, particularly teachers, but because, because when it works for you, you kind of think, oh, it'll work for everyone. But it really is an exercise in learning a lot of information off by heart, um, which is why they got into teacher training college and then became a teacher. So, I mean, there is that old adage, it didn't do me any harm, uh, you know, and all that. However, we've got to think of the kids that never did well in these tests. What they, Everyone must have, when they went to school, knew, knew, knew of some of the children in their class that just were always getting two or three out of ten every week in their tables tests or in their spelling tests. And then the public humiliation after when, when results were read out. I'm pretty sure most people who would listen to this um, didn't... Um, weren't weren't of the age where you used to get hit or you or humiliated now and now you just you know you might get told what your results are i'm sure we're a lot more subtle than that but at the same time it's the same um sort of feeling i mean what message is it giving them and what, and what do you what, what do we think they felt and even more even though we're in more enlightened times i still we think we give subtly give this message out when we send them home to learn off tables and spellings without giving children the strategies to help them learn um these, these children aren't necessarily unable to learn um, or in any way unintelligent, I mean, for want of a better word. They, they must and they simply learn in a different way. Everyone really can learn. Generally, we, we can all learn. And we as teachers have the responsibility to ensure that we teach all children in a way that they can access what we're trying to get them to learn. We do it for everything else. I just don't understand why we, why we don't do that for tables and spellings. Now, it's way too easy to outsource the learning of tables and spellings at home. I mean, anyone can do that. Go home and learn the three times tables. But however, how do we teach? How do we teach spellings and how do we teach tables? And if we don't, why are we not finding out why and why are we not finding out how to do it? So rather than getting children to learn these things off by heart, if I were the Minister for Education, I'd actually ban spell spellings and tables tests. And instead, I would teach the concepts and assess them in a more effective way. Now, in order to keep this episode a little shorter, uh, I'm going to go into details about one small area, and that's the multiplication tables. If you want to learn more about the theory of why spelling tests are a terrible idea and get some alternatives, I'd actually suggest seeking out um, a guy called Brendan Culligan. You can listen to an interview uh, view with him on, a, on another podcast, the podcast I mentioned earlier, Inside Education, and he's actually interviewed on episode 308 of um, Sean Delaney's uh, podcast. Um, well worth a listen. And... Um, you can you can thank me later uh, after after you're listening it. Uh, Sean is much more succinct in his podcast than I am. I'm choosing multiplication tables because this is where many children first hit the wall when they find maths is no longer the fun thing it used to be, and this is where the struggle often begins. And my suggestion is, if in teaching tables uh, in multiplication tables, is we need to teach a concept with a strategy. Okay, so we need to give strategies. We need to consolidate the, what, what, what we've learned from those strategies and then assess using some non-competitive system. So a tables test is, is a competitive thing. You're getting out of 10 kind of thing. That's competitive with the person because you're comparing to someone. What, what we're looking at is it's almost like running in a way that you're, you're always trying to beat your own time or your own score. So I'm looking at that as, as a possible good assessment tool. Um, Anyway, this generally follows uh, the format of a strategy, lots of practice on a website or playing games, and then something which I'm which I call a speed test. Uh, yes, I realise the irony of calling it a test, but I'll explain uh, when I get there. So the first thing um, a teacher needs to know is we um, and some some people don't know this um, even even now. Um, 
that we only actually need to learn up to the 10 times tables. This is since 1999, so over 20 years, the curriculum changed from learning the 12 times tables uh, was, was what, we, what I would have had to learn in school, up to 12 times tables. But now we only have to learn up to 10 times tables. Um, some people might be wondering, and just as an aside why that is, uh, back in the olden days, uh, when uh, we before uh, the decimalization of our uh, money system, um, there were 12 pennies in a shilling. So I guess uh, learning um, your 12 times tables would have had their use uh, in, in, in that. These days with decimalization, we don't really need to know our 11, 12 times tables, though it's still cool to know that 12, 12 are 144 for those of you who might remember having to learn that one off by heart. And of course, that's gross is was the terrible joke that went after it. Um, anyway, if you only uh, given that we only need to know all uh, the 10 times tables, that's uh, zero up to 10. That is a total of 121 number facts that we expect children to learn up by heart. Um, before I start um, doing uh, telling them uh, now, here's 120 uh, I, uh, uh, the, going through the tables. I actually show the children these are all the 121 facts that you need to learn. I put them in a grid, in an 11 by 11 grid from zero to 10. Um, and I show them, these are the facts that you need to know. These are the answers, all those questions, but I'm going to show you how you will never need to know any of them up by heart. And um, I'm gonna teach them that they'll know all these facts with some tricks uh, and strategies and in a, in a series of steps. Um, and the first step I give them is a magic trick, a magic tool, which is called the commutative property, which some teachers will will know all about. Um, and the commutative property basically is if you know six threes, then you also know three sixes. If you know four eights, you also know eight fours. That's the commutative property. And with that, 57 of the 121 facts can be just simply wiped out. And I wipe them off the board and say, there you go. You know that you don't need to know. The, so you know all these, so you don't need to know the other half because they're basically because of the commutative property. You know three sixes, so you know six threes. And we practice this loads so they can actually do it. So we have a bit of a laugh with it as well. And they're kind of pleased because even though we actually haven't done any maths whatsoever, they've knocked off almost half of the tables they have to know. They've only got about 64 or so uh, tables uh, left to learn. Um, the next step after that is a really quick one. We teach them about um, the zero times tables and the one time tables because there's only two rules they need to know. Anything multiplied by zero is zero. So we play lots of games of that. Four by zero, 10 by zero, a million by zero, a bazillion by zero. And we get all silly, um, you know, six billion, 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 billion multiplied by zero, 500 gorillas multiplied by zero. And the answer is always zero. So they always remember if anything multiplied by zero or zero multiplied by anything, it's zero. And um, then we also do in the same day, the one time tables. So anything multiplied by one stays the same. We have the same game, uh, eight multiplied by one, eight, 27 multiplied by one, 27, a billion multiplied by one, a billion, 57 elephants multiplied by one, 57 elements, uh, elephants. So, I mean, basically, they have a bit of fun with it. We have a bit, it takes five minutes, 10 minutes, and they've ordered, and what happens here is they actually knock down, knock off in, in a couple of fell swoops, you're knocked down from um, 64 facts down to 45 because the zero and one times tables um, are a good bunch of the tables that they need to know. So there's only 45 out of the 121 in no time at all are wiped off what they need to learn. That's pretty cool, I think. Um, moving on, we have our first proper strategy where there's a bit of work and and it's a weird thing and I don't know if you was if saying maybe because I was a bit of a uh, I, I don't think it's just because I love numbers uh when I was young but I think most children love the idea of doubling um they like doubling numbers I mean I, I think maybe all of us like doubling a little bit and um, double your money all these kind of things that uh, these tricks that happen and 
the two times tables is just doubling numbers. I mean, that's, that's what you do. You multiply anything by two, it doubles. And that's easy for most people loads to practice. And, and most children actually like doubling. Um, and once they practice that, and they can practice it loads, I mean, it's really, really easy just with loads of doubling games. Um, we're down to 36 tables. So we've gone down to 121, to 64, to 45, to 36 in no time at all. You could do that in a day, um, one class, and you've already got down. You've knocked off almost 90 of those tables. Um, now, some would suggest, some would think then, right, now it's time, we've done zero, we've done one, we've done two, now it's time to move to the three times tables. Absolutely not. The idea we're looking for is to find easy rules and strategies, and the three times tables are not those. The next easy rule, which you can probably do on the same day as the zero ones and twos, is the ten times tables, because there's a rule for them too, add a zero, and you know that, don't you? And uh, that is basically ten, uh, so ten multiplied by anything, you just add a zero, so four by ten, forty, five by ten, fifty. Um, you know, and so on and so forth. And you can go silly with that too if you want to um, and have a bit of fun. And that brings you down to 28 tables to learn. We've not really knocked off 100. It's a fair amount um, still. I mean, 28 thing, facts to learn off by heart is still a lot, but it's definitely better than 121. Now, people might be surprised to hear after this that the next tables I give are the nine times tables because I often hear adults when I'm talking to them actually a lot of some adults come uh, some parents come into me into my offices and, uh, and they're talking oh my child isn't great with tables and so on and so forth and I and I am um, I talk to them about their own feelings about tables and what was the worst tables out to learn and more often than not they go with the nine times tables it seems to be the one um, that causes the most grief and the trouble of course is that no one really bothered to give them any strategies for the tables and actually of all the tables the nine times tables are quite easy once you know a very simple trick. There are strategies, of course. I mean, all um, nine times tables, um, add, the answers add to nine. So let's say nine times six is 54 and five and four make nine. But however, my favorite um, strategy is called the finger trick. And uh, we have 10 fingers for a reason, I, I, I well, I, by randomness, but uh, it's great that we have them because our 10 fingers provide us with a human calculator because uh, numbers are based on a decimalized uh, system and we have 10 fingers um, and uh, you at the back saying now you have eight fingers and two thumbs quiet um, 10 fingers and this is how um, we work it um, now it's probably better to see this in the video so on a podcast this might work so what I'm going to get you to and don't be driving when you're doing this is you put your palms out with your uh, sorry your hands out palms are face down and from left to right you label your fingers one to ten so your little pinky finger on the left is one or is, uh, is one then uh, ring finger where your wedding ring finger two three four five is your thumb six is the next thumb all the way to ten now what you do is if you want to let's say we we're trying to do nine multiplied by four what you do is from one to four you can't you curl down your f number four on that thing so that is basically your um, forefinger on your left hand so you should have pinky ring finger tall finger middle finger um, and then the curled one there that should be curled because that's the number four represents number four now here's the trick the fingers that are on your left of that curled finger are your tens so how many tens do you have you have one two three tens so that's uh, that's 30 and the fingers on your right of that, so count them, you've got six of those, are your units. So it's three tens and six units, which is 36, and nine by four is 36. Hooray for fingers. And this works with every single one of the nine times tables. It, try it, like give it a go. And you'll soon see that uh, basically um, you're, you've knocked off with a single trick 
um, the next set of uh, tables and we're down to 21. We have now succeeded in knocking off 100 of our times tables without learning anything up by heart. Now this particular trick, the nine times tables, requires your fingers to start with until you get confidence. But keep your fingers out. You have to, I, I remember when I was in school, it was always make sure you didn't use your fingers. I am absolutely, I, 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 I would be absolutely adamant. You should always use your fingers when it comes to maths. They're very, very useful. They're good placeholders of things. But don't uh, the idea then is not to is to get so good that you're not reliant on them because um you know it's 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 quicker not to have to use them consolidate that with games and i'm going to at this point give you some ideas on some games because we've gone through quite a lot of the tables we've actually uh, what a what a good marker to the, uh we've we've knocked off 100 one, uh, 100 um, tables so let's play uh, show a few games now for these games you're going to need a box of plastic numbers you know, and there's, you can buy them in Euro shops. They, they, some of them have magnets at the back, uh, at the back of them. You know, things you stick on fridges. Uh, a ten-sided dice, if you if you can get one, and um, they're actually not as easy as they used to be to get. But you, you'll buy. You'll, I mean, internet is great for finding these things. Uh, you can either have it marked zero to nine or one to ten. Now, if you, <laughs> there's no such thing as an eleven-sided dice. But so let's go with a ten-sided dice. Um, a modified six-sided dice. So what I want you to, what I need you to do then is cover the three, four, five, and six and then change them to 0, 1, 2, and 10. And a pack of playing cards, uh, but not the picture cards. Now, I usually have three stations um, for so uh, just to play these uh, these games. You've got a dice station, a card station, and a number station. And when we learn a few more of our tactics, uh, I add in uh, a computer station, um, and uh, I'll talk about that in a little bit. But for the moment, we'll just do these three games um, as stations. So station one, game number one, is the dice game. Now, using the ten-sided dice and the modified six-sided dice, children take turns in rolling the two dice and writing down the numbers fact that they roll. So, for example, they... Uh, roll a two and an eight they write down two times a two multiplied by eight is 16 in their copy because they will know that the two times tables is double so double eight 16. it's also important that they say the fact um as they write it to give a multi-sensory approach so it's not just okay just to write it they need to say it as well and that means you're going to have a noisy classroom but um as i always think an, um, a noisy classroom isn't necessarily a bad classroom uh, and a quiet classroom isn't necessarily a good one um that's that's all that is and then just play that for a couple of minutes so, uh, game number two is the card game divide the cards into two piles the first pile should have the hearts and the diamonds um uh, of the following numbers a uh, the ace the two and the ten and the second pile should be the rest of the cards so the child picks up two cards and writes and says the full number fact so the ace is obviously a one um and if you want to use uh, some of the picture cards as zero you can go for that if you want so again again similar to the dice game except it's it's with cards and similarly with the plastic numbers um Two boxes, one filled with zero ones and twos, and and uh, and the other ones filled with the rest numbers, and you you know the drill. Um, for each station, um, what I would do is I divide the kids into three groups. I give the children between three and five minutes, and that gives them about ten to twenty minutes of consolidation. They have the tactic, and this gives them some consolidation. So it's a lot of time to practice what they've learned, um, and uh, and it'll be it's interesting how they how they go with that. Anyway, that's uh, some three games that you might consider. Uh, for your uh, classroom and um, so right back to our tables we've just 21 left to remember and at this stage I generally uh, teach time when I'm in school and um, because in third class uh, they learn how to tell the time in five minute intervals uh, clocks are great for teaching and um, the five time tables because the big hand points when the big hand points to one that's five past the two it's ten past so one by five is five two by five is ten 
and so on and what, what it really it's, it's perfect when you're teaching digital time as well converting from analog to digital uh because uh when you move to seven uh the big clock goes to seven that that equates to 35 minutes past the the hour as well um rather than the 25 to you but anyway that that's uh that aside but looking at picture the clock so the, the thing is you need to give the children this visualization teaching them how to tell the time while they're learning how to tell the time and then use that as a strategy for learning the five times table so it's you're basically using a, a visual strategy so you're telling so most classrooms have a clock tell them think of the clock picture the clock look at the clock for your five times tables it's um it's not quite the same uh, as 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 quick a strategy as the ones we've learned before but as i said we're as we're as we're going through these um strategies they they get a little um less simple but nonetheless if you can tell the time you can tell you know your five times tables there are other tricks to learn the five times tables if people are struggling if you know you're even and odd numbers so if you take even numbers two four six eight and ten if you want to multiply them by by five all you have to do is have them and add a zero so for example five by four so you take the four half it which is two and then add a zero that's 20 so five by four is 20 easy enough odd numbers you need to do a bit more work you subtract one then half uh, the no, uh, number and add five to the end so five by seven so seven take away one is six half of six is three and then add a five to the end i think it's a bit uh, convoluted uh, i'd rather teach time uh, and hope for the best but it's just a second strategy and as well as some of the games above i'd actually highly recommend then as well consolidating things with a website called multiplication.com i think it's fantastic um lots and lots of choice of games and it's great drill and practice stuff and um and once you know your strategies it's um brilliant for just consolidating them being uh, and uh in a fun uh fun way uh once you anyway they 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 master the five times tables we're down to the 15 uh 15 tables to learn and so far we haven't had to learn any off by heart we've all done this through strategies so we move on to our four times tables so we've uh, got zero one two nine ten and four and now um so the four times tables is is an easy strategy double double um simple as that you just remember double double so four multiplied by eight so double eight is 16 double 16 is 32 so four eights is 32 it's an easy enough strategy for children to learn and a lot of practice helps with that and then they just get quicker and quicker and quicker so that's um your four times tables now traditionally um the six seven and eight times tables are considered really hard but the following strategy actually takes um another uh few numbers off the list of, namely there's six six of them still there and um, we don't have that many left um but we're going to remove another six of them using a different finger trick that's the six sixes six seven six eights seven 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 eights and eight eights um and i'll explain it here but it's probably best to watch a video of it in action to be honest because it is a little bit complicated um but once it's and it's uh, it, to listen to you really kind of need to watch it in action I'll leave the link uh, to a video of it in this podcast, but it's five steps here that I can go through. Um, step one is uh, basically put your palms out. Um, and um, so this time your fa- palms are facing upwards. So different to the nine uh, strategies, the palms up. So um, you, when you're talking to learn, it's palms up strategy. And in your head, you need to label your thumbs as six, the pointing fingers as seven, the middle fingers as eight, the ring fingers as nine, and the little fingers as 10. So you have that in your head. You could... If, if children don't mind drawing on their fingers, you can do that too. Let's do an example, six by eight, okay? So your left hand is going to represent the six and the right hand is going to represent the eight. Now this is where it kind of gets a bit hard, okay? So what you need to do on your left hand, you, um, you put down your thumb, which represents six, and on the right hand, um, which represents eight, you put down all the fingers to eight, that's six, seven, and eight. So you should have your thumb down on your left hand, 
and your th- uh, uh, and uh, your thumb pointing finger and middle finger down in your right hand. So the fingers you should have down, uh, the fingers that you have down represent the tens. Okay, so that's four fingers down. So you have four fingers down, so that's forty. So your answer is forty something. And the fingers on your left up forms your units. And to find those out, you multiply the left hand fingers and your right hand fingers that are left up. The four fingers on the left and the two fingers uh, on the right. You multiply those four by two, which is eight. That's eight units. So you have uh, forty eight. Forty plus eight is forty eight. So six by eight is forty eight. Now. That can be quite tricky. I mean, t- play around with it. I really suggest you watch that video just to see an action. It does. It isn't actually as hard as it as it sounds. Um, and um, I, I must say, I struggled with this um, particular strategy for um, the first time. But once I saw the video, I I, I got it. Um, it's 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 one of those things that you really need to see uh, to understand. But if if you still find it really hard, there's a few um, ideas and a few. I always think um, at this point when there's so few tables to kind of learn visual strategies can be very very helpful so uh, some of the tables uh, that might help you to give you strategies are eight by seven is 56 can be a tricky to run uh, to remember of course but if you if you can remember it, uh, basically if you look at the numbers it's and think uh, and, and swap it to be 56 is equal to seven by eight and just look at the numbers you've got five six seven eight 56 equals seven by eight and you can manipulate it that way 88 by 64 can be remembered with the number of squares on a chessboard or a checkers board or a drafts board, whatever way you say it. So again, you can picture the chessboard. 6 by 6 is 36 can be remembered as 6 by 6 ends in 6 and you count the 6 to see what the 10s are. So there's uh, three sixes, so 36. So 6 by 6 equals 36. You can see it then when you when, when you actually see the numbers, uh, visualize that tables and you'll see how that works. Um, 7 by 7 is 49 is my American footballer from the San Francisco 49ers. Uh, I often draw a picture of two American footballers banging into each other. Um, and uh, they have a number seven on each of their backs. Um, next, uh, when six by seven is 42 is the meaning of life. Um, according to Douglas Adams' Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, uh, Google it. Um, great story um, about how um, how uh, they built uh, in the novel, a supercomputer was built to find out the meaning of life, the universe and everything. And uh, the answer in the end was 42. And the question was six multiplied by seven. Um, and then six multiplied by eight is 48. Just think of photograph dimensions, actually. A six by eight photograph, you've probably seen, the, actually most kids now when they're printing out, if they're printing out uh, photos in the machines, in the uh, in, in, in um, pharmacies, um, they'll choose the size of the photograph they want to print. Six by eight is a, is a, is a common um, one. And basically what I suggest then is six, uh, look at this, think of a six by eight photograph and then think of a picture of uh, the number 48 sunbathing on a beach and that's a photograph of them, uh, a holiday snap, six by eight. Um, they, they may be a different strategy again to remember those particular tables if the hand trick doesn't really work. Uh, if we have uh, mastered those, we're down, uh, down to only four tables left. And you would think at this stage, I would say, just learn the four of those off by heart. Uh, but no, I'm not going to do that. Uh, we've reduced the f- 121 facts down to just four. Three multiplied by three, three multiplied by six, three multiplied by seven, and three multiplied by eight. And a strategy some people use for three times tables um, is double and add the number. So three by seven, double seven is 14, and then add seven. So that's uh, 14 then to 21. Uh, to be honest, I've, I, I often see children struggling with that one for some reason. 
Uh, I prefer uh, visual associations again, so I'm just going back to the visual associations here. Three by three, I call the ba uh, the baseball team table. Uh, there's nine baseball players on a team, as far as uh, as far as you know. So we drew a three by three grid uh, of baseball players with bats, and that was our three by three grid. We knew that was nine. Um, three by six was our horror film. Um, kids I teach know that most horror films have an 18 certificate. So we created a movie called Attack of the Three Sixes, and the cover of the DV shows uh, three different sixes with an assortment of weaponry and sharp teeth, and we put a little 18 certificate on it. So you remember, three by six is 18. Um, three by seven is our slot machine. Um, if you get three lucky sevens in any slot machine, you win 21 euros. So that's how we remembered that. Uh, three by eight is our three egg timers. So eights look a little bit like egg timers. Uh, so three egg timers representing uh, morning, afternoon and night, which is a full day, uh, which is 24 hours. Um, the digit eight, as I said, looks like an egg timer. So this helps. So anyway, how many hours in a full day? Well, 24. So three of our egg timers um, is 24. That's all of the 121 of them covered. Um, I'd, uh, as I said, consolidation. Uh, once you've got your strategies, which is which is what I've given you there, consolidation uh, is then in the form of games, either digitally or using dice or cards or dominoes or plastic numbers or whatever. And I, I mentioned um, uh, as well the the um, multiplication.com as a as a really good uh, website for practicing multiplication tables. Particularly, many schools also have uh, decided to look at um, other um, packages like Mathletics, uh, Khan Academy some dog and so on and they're all all have their various uh, versions of those uh games uh, i just like multiplication.com because it's free and there's a lot of choice um i uh, i mentioned the speed test earlier on the um uh, which for assessment and rather than the idea of this really is rather than a teacher listing um and saying 10 to 20 tables of um out and the children doing just the 10 to 20 tables i I'd, I'd suggest that you give the children a sheet with a hundred tables that that you've covered, so um, there'll be lots and lots of repeated things. And I have um, Excel. Um, I I use Excel to to make these sheets and just to randomise the ta the tables. And I give them one minute to try and answer as many of these um, of those as they can. And no one should really be able to finish all one hundred of them because the idea is that nobody actually is able to get is a. I mean, it's not that you don't want everyone to get everything right, but you just you want to make it um, something that everyone will always improve. Because the first time they do this uh, speed test, they might they might get a certain score. Let's say this get 50 of them done well the next week they might try they might get 51 or 52 and the idea is every week they're basically challenging themselves they're trying to beat their own score rather than be pitted against each other and um, in this case it's like running they're actually you know when i go out for a run I'm not trying to win the race, uh, believe it or not. Uh, I'm just trying to beat my time, my previous time, most of the time when I when I can. And that's and there's some weeks where I just want to go for a run. Similarly with these with with the kids, sometimes they're just not in the mood. So just it's uh, they don't they, they what they're doing is they're trying to beat their own score if they uh, if they feel like it, or else they're just practicing. It's another form of consolidation. So um, it gives them that opportunity to um, give themselves a go at improving um, their score against themselves that they're their own yardstick um just to, to to note i never actually teach division tables because once the kids uh, actually master multiplication we play around a lot with them so they actually see the relationship between multiplication and division they just mess around with the numbers we saw that eight sevens is 56 manipulating that to 56 uh, equals seven by eight uh can help because you can actually then manipulate that further 56 divided by seven equals eight so we can you can mess around with things and get them to to learn the relationship between the three uh, the three numbers in an, in, an, in an equation so um 
I always think manipulating numbers is very, very important. Um, it's a it's a basis for a lot of things. Um, uh, as I get older, about manipulating things and changing them and simplifying them and all that sort of stuff. Um, when something like um, with something like this, uh, children really have a much better chance of learning their tables. And um, the above kind of gives them um, different strategies to do that. I've always had great success with it. I have to say. Um, um, uh, as long as children practice what they've learned a lot. I mean, I, I might teach them, but they do have to practice them, of course. I, I, I don't deny that at all. I think it's a, it's, it's an important thing to do. Um, I, I'm not saying the memories of junior infants shape me as an adult. Um, sure enough, I'm actually obsessed at running faster, um, but I definitely think it's a stretch to blame that boy who chased me around the room on my first day of school. However, I do think Remembering the boy with that smallest number over his head has made me aware of how difficult things are for children who just can't learn things off by heart. I don't know what became of that pupil and I, I do wonder if he remembers that day like I do. I, I do know the kid at the other end of the, of the line um, did fine in school and, and, and in life. I mean, he was lucky. He was lucky. I'm sure, however, just because he didn't have to work that hard to succeed in school, there are other aspects of life that were challenging for him too. I do wonder though, if he still wears nice jumpers. One of the weirder reasons given by the nutcases in Malahide for not divesting from the Catholic Church to a non-religious model was that children would no longer be allowed to wear a school uniform. Um, on next week's show, I'm going to ponder on that very subject, uh, school uniforms, and wonder what is the point of them at all. Uh, I want to say a big thank you for listening to this week's uh, podcast on uh, tables and spelling tests. I hope it was of use uh, to, to, to you um, and uh, hopefully it might help you in your classroom practice. I, sometimes I am helpful rather than just ranting. Um, and uh, I hope you will join me uh, next time when we talk about school uniforms. Please remember you can subscribe to our podcast on whatever platform you use, whether that's iTunes or Spotify or uh, what uh, or Podbean. Uh, I use ca uh, CastBox, uh, which I uh, absolutely adore for, uh, for uh, playing my podcasts. Um, I also would appreciate any comments you might have, which you can um, put up on the actual podcast page, uh, which is on shot.libsyn.com or on any of our social media channels, Facebook, Twitter, and so on. Thanks again for listening and we'll see you next week. Take care.